And thank you ever so much for that reading. It's good to be with you. It's still, um, it's still slightly strange, isn't it, to find ourselves praying for the king? It's been quite a week, in fact, quite a 10 days or so now. Um, I, I'm just beginning to wonder what the world will feel like on Tuesday morning, or this time next week, or whenever it is, because it, it's become a bit of a truism that the death of Queen Elizabeth marks the end of an era. She has been that point of stability, of constancy, at a time when so much is uncertain, when life feels disturbingly unsettled already. These last few years, we've all learned what it's like to live in a world that's been turned upside down. First, we had COVID, a global pandemic and lockdowns across the world. And then more recently, the cost of living crisis has begun to fill our headlines. And even with the latest government's initiative, there are lots of, still people, lots of people still wondering what's coming, how they'll cope, people feeling as if the walls are drawing in on them. We didn't expect COVID, and we certainly didn't expect to have a major war in Europe on our hands, did we? But then Putin ordered his troops into the Ukraine, and today it's 207 days since the Russians invaded Ukraine. And despite the encouraging news of this week, still the fear, the death, the destruction grind on. And it's not just the Ukraine. A week or so ago, we, we, we were hearing about floods in Pakistan, weren't we? A third of that vast country, and that is an area the size of the whole of Great Britain, a third of that country underwater, and 33 million people displaced and affected. We've almost forgotten about them this week, haven't we? But did you hear that they're expecting more rain in Sindh this coming week? And then this morning, Japan is awaiting a monumental typhoon, and that word unprecedented has been pulled into use again. And somehow it was all summed up, wasn't it, a, a, a week or so ago now with the death of Queen Elizabeth, that figure who's been there all my life and probably yours too. And I could go on and on and on. And I don't know about you, but even a few years ago, I didn't expect to be living in such a changed world. But this morning, in the midst of this changed and changing world, God comes to us with a promise. It's a promise that we heard in that first Bible reading that Lucy brought to us from Isaiah 42. In verse 16, God makes the promise to his people along unfamiliar paths. I will guide them. On a global and national scale, we're certainly walking unfamiliar paths. And as, as Hillary pointed out, on, on a, 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 a local level as a church at the moment, we're walking unfamiliar paths. For some here, it may be the first time you've ever been part of a church that doesn't have a minister. And in all sorts of ways, too, personally, many of us are walking unfamiliar paths. Something has happened for us personally. Our world has been turned upside down. 
And all of this is happening as we live in a world and a society that's changing almost underneath our feet. I think I've made the point, haven't I? But in the midst of all of these upheavals, God comes to us this morning with his promise along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. And after a time of farewell and mourning, it will be time to walk on into an unfamiliar future. And for the church, this is a season of particular responsibility. I was tempted to say opportunity, but for some people, opportunity uh, can, can almost have a feeling of wanting to exploit people's vulnerability, and that's not where we are at all. But this is a place for us of responsibility before God. Because we know that in this season, God longs to bring his love and his kingdom hope to this world that he so loves. I don't know you at Hayward Heath Baptist Church all that well yet, but one of the things I'm picking up and one of the things I really appreciate is that this is a church who desires to hear God's voice. I've got that right, haven't I? As we look to the future, we want to be guided into all that God has for us. And we're up for it, aren't we? Some people might even be slightly excited by it. But how does it happen? How do we hear and discern not just our way, but God's way forward? I've been thinking quite a lot about this recently, because, uh, partly because Haywards Heath isn't the only church at the moment looking for a minister. The church in Southwick, where we worship, is also seeking a new minister. Their minister moved on uh, a month before Chris uh, moved on from here. They, too, are seeking to discover God's future for them. And, of course, it's not just about discerning the person God's calling to be the new minister, there's an even more important question underneath that we're wrestling with about what sort of a church God is calling us to be as he leads us in a very changed and changing world and future. And, and as I've pondered and prayed about this process of discernment, I found myself drawn back again and again to the Apostle Peter, who we heard about in our second reading. And now, I don't know what you'd say if I asked you who your favorite person in the Bible was, but for me, pretty near the top of the list would come Peter. Because he's so human, isn't he? He's got a real gift for getting it wrong, for putting his foot in it. He's, he's just like us, or at least just like me. I've demonstrated that a couple of times even this morning, you know? He is very identifiable with. So this morning, what might we learn as we watch God at work in Peter's life, as Peter walks the new, the very different, the unfamiliar path that following Jesus always involves? Well, as I've lived with this passage from Matthew 16, there have been three things briefly that have stood out for me, three things I believe God is saying to us this morning. And the first thing is, as we set out along these unfamiliar paths, we need to check our assumptions. In this exchange uh, with Jesus, 
Peter gets it so right. But then do you notice in almost the next breath, he gets it so wrong. He goes from the high of blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. To the stinging rebuke, get behind me, Satan. He goes from being Jesus's blue-eyed boy to being the devil's agent. What's going on here? Jesus and his disciples were having a few quiet days away together. They were up in the north of the country near Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus had been with his disciples for over two years by now. And so he asks them what conclusions they're coming to about him. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And of course, it's Peter who jumps right in. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you can, a moment, you can imagine a moment of stunned silence as both Jesus and Peter take in what's just come out of Peter's mouth. Peter has seen something of earth-shattering significance. That's still of earth-shattering significance. Peter has got it so right. And then it all begins to go wrong. Because Jesus begins to talk about his suffering and his death. It's there in verse 21, and we're so used to it, the shock doesn't shock us anymore. He goes on to talk about, um, to explain to his disciples, he begins to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And everything in Peter shouts, no, no, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Do you ever have those moments when something deep inside you just says, no, this cannot be? This is one of those moments for Peter. You see, Peter and everybody around him, they knew what the Messiah would do. The Messiah was going to defeat their enemies, to drive out the hated Roman army of occupation. The Messiah was going to lead his people back to the glory days. He was going to make Israel great again, mega. And in a sense, Peter had got it so right. He'd seen that in Jesus, God had come to begin his great and beautiful mission of making this world new. In Jesus, the kingdom of God had and has broken into this life. The power of God's healing, redeeming love has been released into this world. Hallelujah. Which is why we can sing songs like the one we've just sung. And I just love the words of that song. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Let the darkness know that its end is coming. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. To see the captive hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. It's what we long for, isn't it? 
but how is it going to happen? Jesus had to challenge Peter's assumptions about the way forward, about how the Messiah was going to win his victory. Jesus needed to lead Peter along an unfamiliar and unexpected path and to help him to see that he was a very different kind of Messiah. And as God guides us along our unfamiliar paths, he's likely to have to challenge some of our assumptions too. Are we perhaps just sometimes in danger of confusing our political and cultural preferences with the greater purposes of God? Do we have assumptions about what's involved in being church that limits God's great and beautiful mission to his world? When I was uh, serving as a regional minister in South Wales, I sometimes used to feel very cruel. Preaching in some of those tiny Welsh chapels and asking them the question that I felt God was prompting me to ask them, which is this. Do we love the people God loves? The people out there, the people we see on our screens night by night. Do we love the people God loves more than we love our way of doing church? It's an uncomfortable question. It's a challenging question. The first thing God is saying to us this morning is, check your assumptions. As he says in Job, who is this who muddles my designs with empty-headed words? Or as he reminds us through the prophet Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my ways above your thoughts your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And if the first thing God says to us is check your assumptions, then the second thing he says to us is be ready for the challenge. I'm really struck by the sharpness of Jesus's response to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but just human concerns. I just wonder, has Peter touched a raw nerve in Jesus? Could it be that Jesus found it a lot harder than we often realize to follow God's path for him? And if it was challenging for Jesus, shouldn't we expect it to be challenging for us? And then, of course, Jesus goes on to spell it out in verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Someone once said, there are only two impulses in life. One is the impulse to acquire to hoard, to own, to protect, to keep safe. The other is the impulse to give and to serve. 
And if we're honest, most of us can identify both of those voices in us, can't we? The fearful voice and the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus to risk following in him in giving our lives away to God and to his world. I used to think that this verse was a bit of a threat. You know, if you don't give your life away, I will not give you eternal life. But then I realized that this verse isn't a threat. It's a promise. It's a description of what happens. You know what it's like if we desperately try to hold on to life. It's like trying to hold on to water, isn't it? It trickles through your fingers and is gone. But, but if we take the risk of giving our life away to God and to his world, what we discover is life, real life, the life that is life, life in all its fullness. And when we do it, that's what happens, isn't it? It authenticates itself. God authenticates himself as we give our lives to him and to his world. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge living out the risk of faith. It's a challenge following God as he guides us along unfamiliar paths. God calls us to check our assumptions, to be ready for the challenge And finally and supremely, to trust in the power of his grace. The Apostle Peter is this very human figure, capable of getting it so right and so wrong. And he doesn't change overnight, as we'll see in uh, coming episodes. But yet Jesus says to this very fallible human being, You are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of your confession of faith in me, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter still has a lot to learn. God still has a lot of work to do in his life. Like the rest of us, he won't be the finished article this side of eternity. But this promise doesn't depend on Peter getting it right. It depends upon the power of God's grace. I really would not have dared to be a minister of the gospel or even a follower of Jesus if I did not know that I and we serve a God who is able to take all our failures and all our mistakes and redeem them by the power of his grace and even turn them into something that he can use to further the work of his kingdom here and now. Peter is the first of the living stones that David was talking about with which Jesus builds his church, but the foundation of the church, the cornerstone, is the grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The grace whose power we are called to trust, to trust and to live out in our life together. 
and all of this for the sake of the world. All of this so that the world may see the glory, the beauty, the power of God's amazing grace. And how our poor, confused, beautiful and bruised world needs to see that. As we face an uncertain world and an unpredictable future, we look to God who promises along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. Check your assumptions. Be ready for the challenge, but above all, trust in the powerful, redeeming, life-changing, hope-bringing grace of God. And so we come, we come to share communion together. We come to this place where we see the depth, the cost, and the power of God's love. And where we receive God's grace afresh. Lord, come as we gather around this table and soak us afresh with your grace that our lives might burn with your love and your hope for the sake of this world and for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing as we come to the communion.